in our gospel readings, the action, I guess you could say, is kind of picking up now. After Jesus' baptism, and he had the selection of his apostles and so on. And now this week we are hearing the beginning of one of Jesus' greatest speeches ever. Sermon on the Mount. And if we imagine the scene, I can just picture it. There's a, you know, a heightened anticipation. Everyone's excited to hear what Jesus has to say. He climbs up this mountain so he can kind of you know, have a, a platform to preach from. And his disciples gather around him. He takes a seat and everyone's got their eyes on him. And I can imagine one of the disciples maybe leaning over to the guy next to him and saying, Shh, quiet, he's about to start. And uh, thinking that he's quite privileged to be there, hearing the Lord speak to him directly. And then Jesus starts to, to speak, and he says, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. And so on. I can imagine the disciples looking at each other. What is, what is this Jesus guy talking about? Poverty? A blessing? The idea of blessedness that's put forward by Jesus probably sounded backwards to them. It certainly does to us. We're used to hearing the Beatitudes, but we think about what they actually say. It seems a little bit backwards. It's not what we think of as great blessings. But it's the words of Jesus. So we need to dig in and figure out what he really means. What's he saying? It may seem as if Jesus' eight descriptions of the blessed are not at all descriptions of happy men and women, quite the contrary. Yet this list is called Beatitudes. And the word Beatitude means supreme happiness. Though it doesn't seem like it at first glance, Jesus is giving us a blueprint for true happiness. St. Augustine wrote what seems obvious, you know, that we all want to live happily. In the whole human race, there is no one who does not assent to this proposition, even before it's fully articulated. And that's the thing. Very seldom do we hear full and true happiness articulated well. We all agree we want to be happy, and we scramble about trying to achieve that goal, looking for any pleasure in this world that might give us a little bit more happiness. We do this without considering what true happiness really is, and it always leaves us wanting more. You know, a couple, for example, can get married, and married life can be wonderful, even for 50, 60, sometimes even 70 years. And that is a very awesome and beautiful thing. But eventually physical suffering will certainly take over in old age, Things become more difficult. Or we earn money. Yes, we like that, don't we? And the more we earn, the more we can buy, and the more we want. If I enjoy a really delicious meal, that's a good thing. What a blessing from the Lord to be able to receive a wonderful meal. But again, in a few hours, what? I'm hungry again. So mere natural human happiness is always like that. It's good. It's not evil. It's a good thing. But it never leaves us fully satisfied. God gave us that desire for happiness. And there must be thus the fulfillment of the desire. God wouldn't have given it to us, the argument goes, 
unless it was possible of being fulfilled, but nothing in this life ever totally fills it. Everything in the world is passing away. But Jesus in the Beatitudes gives us a plan for happiness that does not pass away. Even in the midst of hardship, suffering, loss, and persecution, the Beatitudes are pointing us in the direction of that kind of happiness. Something even better than all these worldly goods that we so often go after. In its fullness, this happiness that Jesus is describing is called the beatific vision. Again, it's a term based off that, those word, that word beatitude, which means happiness. And it suggests we're looking upon pure ultimate joy. The beatific vision term describes the joy of the saints in heaven as they look upon the face of God, all their desires perfectly fulfilled forever. Now, these Beatitudes, they're often described as a series of steps or stages along the way to the fulfillment of this happiness in heaven. And thus, the first Beatitude, the beginning of this process, is heard as, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Well, to be poor in spirit, what is it? Well, it's to realize our poverty before God. To acknowledge that we're dependent upon him, that we need the Lord. To know, as St. Paul wrote in our second reading, that no human being might boast before God. Cardinal Dolan once wrote that if, if we are poor in spirit, we realize that Christ looks at us. That when Christ looks at us, no thought, word, or deed is hidden. He knows us, he knows us better than we know ourselves. We are empty, poor, Weak, broken before his gaze, yet those eyes are loving, welcoming, and accepting. The contemplation of the eyes of Christ helps our humility. So as we start our journey, as we continue on, hopefully, our, our journey towards this beatific vision, toward perfect happiness, we have to strive for humility, first of all. Because if we're not striving for that humility, God can't use us Because we're going to take all the credit for every good thing that happens around us, and we're going to fall into pride. That's why Paul reminds us that God chooses the foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised of the world to accomplish his greatest works. I mean, think, who who was Mary? This, This little girl, this young girl. Think of John the Baptist, this weird itinerant preacher out in the desert. They changed the world. God does great things through simple people, humble people. And this just shows that his work is all the greater because of it. The beginning of the Christian journey, thus, is is in the seeking of humility, that's trying to become poor in spirit, so we can be happy knowing that it's God that's doing these amazing things through us. Or then as we go along these steps, these beatitudes, we come across... Uh, that extra challenging one towards the end there, the eighth beatitude. It reminds us that this promised happiness isn't something physical and external. Um, It's not becoming popular. You know, it doesn't say blessed are those who are liked by everyone around them, does it? No. The the saints often suffered, and this is because 
Well, that last beatitude proclaims, blessed are we who, when we are insulted and persecuted for the sake of Christ. This happens more and more these days. Why, have, why does this happen? Why do the saints have to suffer insults and persecutions? Well, in part because holy men and women, they've let Christ transform their lives. They don't look like other people living worldly lives anymore. They look more like Jesus. And when they, the saints read the Beatitudes in the Gospel, they recognize a description of true happiness. They don't necessarily flee from hardship and persecution. They stick with what is true, even if it's hard. Um, unlike so many who find themselves or find, uh, find this to be rather confusing because they're seeking worldly happiness. These souls like the saints are hated by the world because they're different. They're, they're like Christ, this person who was so hated by uh, all of us in the world that we crucified him when he challenged us. But the thing is, the saints are deeply happy, even as they carry their share of Jesus' cross, knowing that they're on the path to the beatific vision, where they will enjoy eternal beatitude, perfect happiness forever, seeing God face to face as he is. And this is a reward that is greater than any price that we might pay in this life, no matter how hard it may seem.